0: You're listening to BAU, Business As Unusual. The podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact.
1: So today, um, yeah, so we were fortunate enough to have a chat with uh, Tom Critchlow. So Tom is one of the co-founders of Quotebacks, which is, you know, a really kind of incredible uh, little plug-in that you can use across Chrome and Firefox. And... What Tom's kind of you know I think is is really really interested in is how bloggers and kind of um, people who are trying to kind of craft narrative um, can actually have a tool that is allows those things to be shared more widely across platforms so that they don't become stuck in a in a certain spot and can be experienced and um, found by by many many others and so Tom joined us after doing an extensive road trip across uh, across the U S with his uh, with his family so yeah we kind of have a Um, chat about life on the road um, kind of you know his work in kind of narrative strategy and this notion of kind of um, you know kind of how uh, blogging and kind of writing can actually inform people to have a different perspective and start to create community so Pat I mean it was a it was a kind of a yeah it was a great really really great chat and I think you know kind of um, Tom's perspective was super interesting.
2: Mm, He's a humble humble guy and I think Glowbacks has has the ability to offer a lot more than just four bloggers i think it's a it's a really great origin story where it's come from and it's an iso story so it's come from us isolation two friends getting together and, and finding common ground and and wanting to give back it's an ode to blogging from both of them uh, and and i really like their approach to data we ask in the in the in the podcast in the conversation that you're just about to hear how do you learn how do you get your feedback and how do you understand is there different ways people use your use the platform or use the the plug to how you normally would have imagined like what's the data telling you and they say we don't have the data we just have a community of of interested users who, who are working on it and it's it's an open source in that way but it is definitely governed by two but they take on feedback from a select group of people who are wanting to give that feedback but i think it'll grow into something different to what they imagine i find it really a huge visual i I implore you to go have a look at it and play with it the next time you read an interesting article and it just gives you a bit of a map of where you just travelled from. But, Tom, the conversation that we have with him is, is, in, is a really fascinating one and a little bit of an insight into the political shit fight that is happening over in, in the US right now. Tom, come up with this novel idea and I think it's the ability to change the way many of us interact with the Internet of Things. In essence, it's a browser tool that, is, that allows us to copy store quotes as you read the Internet. In practice, it acts like an anchor as you float through the Internet of Things, um, your own individual wormhole. I think it's a crumb trail where you can locate where you are and how you got there. It really fits that model of I suppose social media by. It's a little welcome Matt, to explore further. But I was hoping you could tell us a little bit first of all where you are and where this podcast finds you, but then how Quoteback started and what it's all about.
3: Being uh, travelling across the US with my family, uh, during the pandemic, we have a small small place in Brooklyn, um, with or two small kids that was it was uh, we decided it was time to get on the road. So so we've been spending the last year. Kind of making the, making lemonade out of lemons, I suppose. Um, we've hit a bunch of the national parks and it's been, it's been a fun adventure. Um, so yeah, currently, uh, holding up in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and how did I get to Quotebacks? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I think writing on the internet and blogging in particular has been such a powerful force for my own, my own life, my own career. Um, and I know the same is true for my partner Toby, Toby and who I made, uh, quote backs with. Um, that you know, I think it was it was an, an, an attempt or, or an exploration into how we could create some kind of better infrastructure or connective tissue between between internet writers uh, and across like the different kinds of blogging that that people do um, in an attempt to like you said, kind of create some breadcrumb trails and. Uh, Try and connect the dots a little bit, I think, Um, you know, between different writers, uh, you know, we saw that there was a huge opportunity in, you know, the the power of of bloggers is that kind of weird and wonderful. Um, But at the same time, it can make the different kinds of writing that you find online a little bit like inaccessible or a little bit hard to follow, Um, you know, a little bit hard to, to, to do discovery between different writers. And so that was kind of our goal was really trying to you know try and do something that felt interesting, it felt new, felt different, um, and and can maybe help surface some different conversations and 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 better kind of create dialogue between uh, bloggers um, as something that was kind of not not existing today. So that was Quotebacks, Um and you know existing uh, as a as a browser extension, as a bookmarklet, as a website, um, and as a protocol that you can use in your own site even without using our JavaScript. Um, and yeah it's been it's been a fun adventure
1: so, Tom, um, can you just um, fill us in on how it actually works? I mean, and some of the challenges, I guess, of kind of actually working with with some of the kind of the big tech players to actually get this to work as a as a plug-in. Um, yeah, maybe if you can just um, give us the, the kind of the, the uh, Internet for Dummies kind of um, spiel on actually how this works and why you believe it's kind of so critical that we can actually skip across platforms on um, things like the Internet. So, I mean, blogs, as you said, are really interesting, but it tends to be that they're actually specific to the medium that you're on, whether one of those mediums is called Medium, as an example of, of that. So perhaps if you can just talk to us a little bit about kind of some of the, um, how it works, some of the challenges you've faced, and why you believe it's so critical that we can actually skip across different platforms on the net.
3: Yeah, so so in terms of the kind of technical mechanics, it actually exists as a, as a Chrome extension and Firefox extension that you can install in your browser. And it allows you to just grab any kind of uh, piece of text or a piece of content from any website um, and kind of save it to your library. And then, you know, and there's a bunch of different extensions that let you do similar things like that. But the key thing that makes Quoteback different is um, you can then use those snippets and embed them into your own blog or your own website. Um, and, you know, it functions very much like embedding a tweet. You know, I think everyone's familiar with taking a tweet and, and, and embedding it on the site. Um and and how useful and powerful that can be for kind of standardized way of of referencing a particular kind of kind of nugget of information, a particular suite. Um, but the same thing doesn't exist for uh grabbing information from other websites, you know, blogs and and other sites. Um and so that was kind of our our you know defining idea here was was how do we bring some kind of standardization or some kind of consistency to uh, you know, this kind of disparate set and, and kind of sea of, of independent blogging, which is, is weird and wonderful and on all kinds of different tech platforms. So it was important for us to try and make something that, that works both across browsers but across different platforms, like you said, um, you know, from, from WordPress to Medium to all these other uh formats. So I would say we've we've probably done about, I'd say like sixty or seventy percent of what we kind of would like to be able to do. There's definitely some more room to handle some of the edge cases and plug into a few more systems and so on. But um, just with what we've done today, I think it's 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 been really um, rewarding seeing different writers and different creators uh, using the tool um, in various different ways.
2: And how are you seeing people use it? Are you seeing it in in you' saying you' seeing it in unique ways? Is there anything that's jumped out at you? Do you have access to the data in the way people are using that? Is there something that jumps out at you that you never thought of? Um
3: I mean, so so, so the first thing to point out is that we actually don't collect any data. Um, through the extension or through the embed. So um, we're actually very uh, privacy conscious and you haven't implemented anything like that. So we actually don't have a lot of visibility into how people are using it other than when people tag us or let us know directly. Um, we have a Discord group um, for kind of kind of fans of the tool um, and we always hang out in there. And so um, we have a bunch of you know, kind of um, anecdotal feedback about how people are using it, but we don't actually have any data um, that we collect through it. And that was kind of by design. Um, you know, I think a couple of the ways that we've seen it being used um, in interesting ways. One is for bloggers who are very privacy conscious uh, or, or just mindful of the technology they use and don't want to use the Twitter JavaScript, um, which has a bunch of, you know, tracking and so on uh, in it. Um, some bloggers use this just to in- embed tweets, um, which is kind of an interesting use case we hadn't thought of when we set out to build it. Um, another interesting uh, use case that has been really nice to see is uh, microblog. Um, so, Manson Reese, who, who, who built Microblog, which is kind of a, a halfway house, between you know, blogging and tweeting, but, um, in a way that you can host yourself. Uh, Microblog has actually integrated, um, a version of QuoteBacks kind of natively into their tool for, for using their own kind of, like, quote embed, um, uh, uh, for, for Microblog. So, so, those have been kind of two interesting use cases. Um, and then, and then, you know, there's been a bunch of, like, you know, various kind of creative ideas for, you know, repurposing, reusing, and and kind of remixing the web um, that that we wouldn't have thought of uh, that had been just nice to see.
1: Cool. And Tom, kind of going back to back to some of the kind of the the start and the community that's actually being built built around it. I mean, where where did the idea originate? I mean, there's obviously there's lots of kind of um, different um, I guess takes in terms of. Uh, academic kind of journaling, um, needing to kind of um, put citations together to obviously um, help people kind of understand where something actually originated originated from. But if you go kind of back all the way to the beginning, I mean, what, what really inspired you to actually start to look into this and to kind of, you know, what was the problem in the world you were trying to solve?
3: Yeah, I think, I think it was kind of a serendipitous collision of, of different ideas um, Toby had been experimenting with like an open transclude kind of format for blogging um, on his own site, where, which was kind of a, a way to create like a mini iframe window between one piece of writing and another piece of writing so that you could see the quote, um, not just as the text, but also like see the quote in context of the piece that you're quoting it in, um, in that kind of, you know, open transclude um, kind of Xanadu kind of, <laughs> kind of mindset from the old school kind of origins of the web. Um and so he'd been experimenting with that on his own site. And at the same time, I'd been experimenting with building Chrome extensions and some of the JavaScript stuff that we needed. Um and so we kind of came together and and you know we've been bouncing around ideas and and fell on this idea that uh some of the most interesting things from what Toby was doing were around the way that he was designing the the embeds um, and, and the units. Were, he was calling them portals at the time. Um, you know, the way he was designing them was, was really appealing. You know, Toby's got a really great uh, kind of aesthetic and, and design sensibility. Um, and so uh, we realized that bringing a level of, of kind of really crisp design to a flexible open unit that anybody could use on their own site was actually quite powerful. Um, you know I think the, the the independent blogging world is kind of a wild west in terms of uh, format design aesthetics um, and, and for the most part that's that's you know wholeheartedly a good thing. Um, I love the the diversity and so on. Um, and yet we realized that there was a kind of a way to say actually if we create something that's really uh, 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 you know has a consistent UX and, and looks really good um, then then we think we can get people to use it um, and we think people will want to use it. Um, and at the same time, like I said, I've been kind of dabbling in some of the technology stuff under the hood in terms of how to build extensions and how to build some, some JavaScript stuff that did the things that we need. And so that was kind of the, the origins of it. Really, you know, we decided that we wanted to do something. Um, and and I'd also just, you know, our quote, quoteback is not a money-making project for either myself or Toby. Um, and I think a large part of it was also just wanting to wanting to build something that kind of gave. Back to the blogging community, and, and and maybe highlighted how much we both cared about the space um, by building something like this that anybody could use and could plug into to, to a large variety of sites. So um, that was kind of the origins of it. And then, you know, it, this is over the summer, um, you know, during the pandemic. So, so you know, we were both kind of on lockdown, and it was also you know, honestly. Um, I still maintain that maybe maybe eighty percent of the value of quotebacks is is just getting to spend kind of every day hanging out with Toby on zoom uh, and, and and writing JavaScript. like writing javascript together and, and we've had a lot of fun uh you know building it i think we've uh, Toby and I think yeah, very similarly about many things um and so it was really it was just fun to have a have a collaborator um and kind of co conspirator um to be building something with.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I mean, what do you what do you think? I mean, you've kind of referenced it in in your answer there around kind of the actual blogging blogging community, but as a as a community, why do you believe bloggers are are so important in today's world?
3: Well, I don't I mean, I think I would maybe turn that question slightly around and say, you know, I don't know if it's as much about kind of bloggers being this important force in the world, although I, I think there is a kind of a diversity of ideas and a diversity of creativity that is that is empowering, but I'd I kind of flip it around and say that it's less about the big kind of scaled impact on the internet and more about the impact that it can have on the individual. Um, you know, I've just seen the, the power of, of, of writing and building a network and making connections um, through the web and, and how meaningfully different and meaningfully powerful that has been for me Above and beyond, you know, merely being present on social networks, you know, I'm, 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 I'm active on Twitter and I'm active on a bunch of other places, but, um, you know, writing, you know, slightly longer form writing and, 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 owning my own kind of home for writing on the internet, um, has been this kind of foundational thing that has been really powerful for me, both in terms of creating connections, friends and, and so on, but also in terms of my career and, and, and building, uh, uh, you know, not you know, getting jobs, uh, you know, finding clients, um, now. Uh, you, you know, that's been really, really powerful. Um, I, I wrote a blog post called Small B Blogging, um, a little while back, which really kind of tried to uh, explore this idea that you, you really don't need scale, um, to be able to create kind of individual level outcomes. Um, and the writing is just this deeply powerful thing that, that, that can, can, can bring rewards to you. Um, and so, and so that, that's kind of my viewpoint is less about, you know, the, the importance of bloggers in terms of kind of putting them on the same scale of like, you know, big media or any of the other things. Like, I'd rather think about blogging as more of an individual kind of act, right? It's almost like, uh, what is the like, what is the value of gardening to the world? And it's like, well, I don't know if there's really like a big way to kind of be gardening this big important thing. And yet, I can, I, I would say that you know, gardening for for the individual can be can be deeply rewarding and powerful and 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 useful. Um, and so, I think I look at it a bit more like that.
2: That's a beautiful analogy, Tom. I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of. Uh, especially when you're talking at a community level and it sounds like that's what quotebacks is trying to really service and an individual of gardeners internet gardeners who, who share their garden with other people and tips and tricks and and inspiration I wanted to hear a little bit about your work you've I've seen you write a little bit and read a bit of your writing, and you're um, deeply involved in narrative design and trying to shape that field a little bit. I was hoping you could talk to us about your work if you're comfortable about how you how you practice that and and what you define narrative design as.
3: Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm an independent consultant. Um, I spent the last six years um, out on my own doing a mixture of kind of marketing strategy, brand strategy, um, and and kind of uh, org design, product innovation, a bunch of different kind of types of work in the middle of all of that. Um, and, you know, one of the nice things about being solo is um, every new client brings an opportunity to do something different. Uh, and so it's kind of nice that my work has meandered across and through these different fields um, over the past few years. Um, and and, and I, I've written a lot about that journey on my own site, uh, TomCristoff.com. You can find a bunch of that stuff. And I've... I'm in the middle of writing a book for independent consultants as well. So there's a ton of writing there, um, exploring that space. Um, and, and increasingly, what I'm finding in my own work is this kind of deeply powerful idea of what I call narrative strategy, which is uh, like it's a somewhat nebulous concept, and I'm still kind of getting my head around exactly how to define and, and talk about it. But there's this idea that I think too many people think that strategy is a kind of moment in time activity. It's like you make the strategy, right? Like you make a strategy. Um, and increasingly my own work, that just doesn't map to reality. Um, you know, in, in, in reality, strategy is kind of a, an ongoing, unfolding a uh, kind of exploration um, through both different stakeholders and different people, but also, you know, changing markets and changing ideas and culture. Um, and so my own consulting work has, started to, to really embody this idea where uh, I often end up working with clients with, with, with kind of a senior executive uh, within an organization, crafting, helping craft a strategy for the company, but at the same time working on their individual narrative of, you know, where do they fit into the organization they're working for and how do they see their trajectory um, and how do they position themselves and the work they do to be, important meaningful and useful um, to those around them and and increasingly what you you know I think some degree of that has always been true but I think that the the key thing that is uh, different in today's world is that um, the stakeholders that individuals are responsible to and care about um, in- increasingly map across external and internal so it used to be that you know the, the the kind of the the there used to be a hard boundary between kind of the outside world and the inside world um, of an organization, but increasingly the, the, the that 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 distinction is, is increasingly meaningless, right? Um, you know even uh, companies that kind of clearly distinguish between full-time employees and contractors, consultants, and freelancers, um, there's still this kind of orbital uh, uh, kind of orbital ring of stakeholders from you know power users to partners, influencers. Um, and and you know shareholders, all of these people that are kind of uh, uh, maybe you know formally outside the company, but have a very strong opinion and and, and relationship with the organization. And then in, internally, um, increasingly we, we find that uh, you know employees that work inside the organization are having a public kind of outside voice, right? Um you, you see this at firms like Google and so on, where um, a lot of that kind of labor organizing and protest have come from inside the organization. You know, they're, they're public protests that are started by employees, um, which, which, again, is kind of a novel uh, idea in a certain sense. Um, uh, and so uh, this is a very long-winded answer to your question, sorry. Um, but, but this idea of narrative strategy is um, it, it's really about kind of threading all of that, right? It's trying to find a through line between the kind of the, the, the corporate strategy and, and, and the brand strategy that, that you're playing with the, the individuals involved and their own personal narratives. And then this increasingly kind of like, you know, permeable boundary between the outside and the inside of the organization. Um, so that's increasingly the kind of work that I'm doing. Um, uh, uh, again, thankfully being an individual consultant, um, I don't have to kind of sum that up in, in, in one page. Uh, I can instead write, <laughs> you know, I uh, kind of meander a bunch because, because I don't need too many clients, uh, uh, at one time, which is kind of convenient. But, um, yeah, that's kind of the work that I'm, that I'm doing these days.
0: You're listening to BAU, Business As Unusual. The podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production a production house that works with organisations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. And if you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations.
1: And this kind of, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of kind of communities and kind of organizations and, you know, kind of people to kind of put a finer point on it, struggle with this idea of kind of their, their narrative in a, in a world. So really, you know, I'm, I'm quite interested in kind of the the concept of how stories are, they're kind of, they become kind of almost self, self self-fulfilling. So, so in your work, um, I'm interested about kind of that when you're actually helping organizations and kind of um, communities look at look at their narrative. I mean, where where do you kind of, um, where do you take them? Is it about kind of the, is it sense-making or is it actually, is it com- becoming more directional, um, Tom? And the, the answer can be as long or as short as you like to that, um, in, at least here, is kind of under, understanding that. I'm quite interested in the notion that in some ways narrative is about, you know, it makes sense of something, but also maybe it's more powerful when it's actually about this, is the direction that we want to head?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. And a a lot of that comes down to the situation on the ground, kind of, you know, where, like, I I would say that every organization I work with and every executive that I work with is almost always out of balance somewhere. They're always kind of more heavily weighted on one side or the other. Um, And I think the trick is always trying to understand the biases and kind of pre-existing notions that exist, um, again, both at the organizational level and at the individual level, um, so that you can kind of help, I don't want to say write the ship, because I, I don't think there's a perfect balance, um, it, you know, there isn't kind of abstract, perfect waiting to, to aim for, but rather it's about uh, helping the client understand the situation and understand the set of possibilities um, uh, more uh, more important. again, more accurately, maybe isn't quite the right word, but understand sort of the set of possibilities in, in, in a more vivid way. Um, you know, I wrote a blog post uh, a little while back uh, called Ways of Seeing, um, where, where I talk about, you know, one of the kind of highest acts that you can do as a consultant. consultant is, helping clients see the world in a new way. Um, and that can either be the external world, as in the market they're operating in and, and the culture that it fits around them, or it can be the internal world, which is which is understanding how their organization actually functions and, and how the people operate inside it. Um, and as an outsider, as a consultant, um, it can be really powerful to, to come in and say, you know, listen, uh, here are some of the blind spots that I see that you have. Um, here are some of the ways that you look at the world. And here are some of the ways that I look at the world. And and here's how they're different. Um, And and what's fascinating about that is, you know, I think the classic model of of, of a consultant is somebody who comes in and, and quote unquote, has the answer. Um, And what I'm more often interested in is not uh, having the answer, but rather helping the client just kind of see things in a new light um so that we can kind of we can co-create a way forward and we can figure things out we can try things and and we we can kind of explore the future um but it isn't about me having the right idea and the client having the wrong idea um that's definitely not the approach that i take um and so uh when you come back to this idea of you know is it is it sense making is it is it about writing your own destiny um i think it's a little bit of all of the above you know i think it's about understanding reality and then it's about crafting a, a, a a false reality or a fantasy um, and then trying to kind of navigate the, the, the liminal space between those two things and, and, and see where you end up. Um, I think that's that's the kind of work that I enjoy the most.
2: That sounds that sounds really good. It sounds like you use narrative as a vehicle to change attitude, I suppose. You lay down the field of, of what exists, the reality. Do you feel like there's an attitude shift in a lot of the work you do in terms of narrative strategy? Is that some of the aims that, that you take into your work or that you just have to or it just is a result of?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think attitudes, I think, um, seeing things from a new perspective, seeing things in new light. Um, and and, and again, that can be, that can be somewhat surface level in the sense of saying, Hey, let's go and do some user research and get some new insights that that we haven't had before. Or it can be much deeper in, in, in terms of saying, listen, I think that, I think that the way that you manage your team has the following blind spots. I don't think you realize the kind of psychological effects of the way that you work. On the team members around you, um, you know, you know that can be, that can be a kind of a, a deeper, harder conversation. Um, but either way, it's about it's about a new perspective. Um, uh, again, you know, my my goal, I think, when 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 I work with clients, is is less about trying to change the attitude because I think that 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 has a like you're putting yourself as kind of the the hero in the journey. Um, and I very rarely see myself as a hero in the journey. Um, instead, I, I like to think about Helping the client see things in a new way, and then what they do with it is kind of up to them, right? Like that's 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 kind of the they can determine their own path, and they can figure out what to do with the information. But if if, if I can help them see things in a new way, then um, hopefully that is a useful service.
1: Beautiful. And, and Tom, so, uh, last question. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously you've, uh, you've done a tour of duty across the U.S. during, uh, during a raging pandemic. And you've also seen kind of, I guess, kind of, you know, broadly there seems to be two conflicting narratives about the U.S. kind of at play at the moment. So, you know, for kind of, um, the majority of our listenership is across Australia and New Zealand. So, I mean, give us kind of, a an insider view from, uh, from Arizona in terms of kind of where, um, you believe the kind of the narrative of America is at at the moment?
3: Oh, God. I
1: mean, (laughs) as a... Optimistically, uh, please. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just as someone looking at it, as a professional looking at it, I mean, what do you, what do you see? Like, if you take your own kind of, um, I mean, sensibility out of it in some ways, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm interested in kind of, you know, you applying some of the tools and the ways that you look at the world to kind of the state of the country that you live in, your adopted home, and uh, give us a take.
3: I mean, I think that not to get too political about it, but but you have to, I think, in this country. Everything is political. And I think that um there was a really interesting uh uh interview with aoc in the New York Times uh recently where she kind of you know having having been a, a a kind of a loyal Democrat during the elections after after Biden won, she 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 did an interview with the New York Times where she kind of broke ranks in a sense and said that um the messaging to the democratic party is deeply flawed. Um, and whether or not you believe AOC's particular policies or how strongly you to what she's about. Um, I think she is absolutely right. I think that if, if you look at the way this, if you look at the state of this country right now, I'd say that the, uh, the disconnect between what I think people really want and the way that those ideas are communicated, whether that is, Healthcare, whether it is gun safety, um, whether it is all these other kind of things, the, the, the kind of the popular opinion, the, the mat, what the masses want is, has been deeply divided by, uh, bad messaging basically, right? And, and, and that comes in two forms. It comes in, uh, kind of weak, uh, ineffective messaging that I think the Democrats have sometimes peddled. And it comes from kind of, uh, um, unfaithful messaging, like deceptive messaging that I think um the Republicans have, have peddled. Um and I'm obviously sharing my own biases here, but um, you know, I think that when you look at the fundamental things that people want from their own lives and from the world, I and mean, then you look at the way that people act and and I think that um that's where I think narrative has been deeply divisive in this country, um, in a way that it is anywhere, I guess, um, in politics, but, but, um, the U S just seems to take that to extremes as they, as they do with many things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm also, like I said, uh, uh, somewhat unqualified to talk about that in many ways, you know, coming, I was raised in England, uh, spent most of my life in England, um, and have been a transplant across the U S. Um, there are many ideas here that are, that are foreign to me. Um, so, uh, but in a lot yeah, of ways, Tom. Uh, in a
2: lot of ways, it's you sort of fit the mould, uh, especially from a work perspective. Because, in a work perspective, by the sounds of it, you, come in as an outsider in and try and give um, the information as it is to that client and say this is how it is. So, if you could give us a little brief, say the United States Common Good has asked you to come in and try and bring a bridge between the two narratives. What is your biggest suggestion to try and draw that bridge of un- mutual understanding that has been that polarization that just keeps going in opposite directions? How do you start pulling that back?
3: Um, again, I'm, I'm probably deeply unqualified to talk about politics, but I'd say that, um, you know, I, I think my probably my best suggestion is, is, is to try and just reboot them. Like, I think... There are so many things that be- have become politicized and have become like red versus blue um, that I think we've lost sight of the fundamental things that people really want. Um, and I think healthcare is a good example of that. I think, you know, there's there are so many instances, uh, so many parts of healthcare that are just kind of indisputable that um, the vast majority of people want. I'm going to say everyone, but the vast majority of people want. Um, and yet, it ends up becoming politicized because of the the, the naming and the language around it. And so, I think um, I think that we need a reboot on some of the, the the ways that we talk about just the issues themselves, not not even necessarily the solutions, but just the way we talk about the issues. um needs to be reset a little bit um, because I think that the way that the language we use today is just as soon as you use the, the words, um, people have picked a side, um, and I think that that's really just that only deepens the divide um, in the country. And, and the other thing to say, of course, is, um, and this is kind of more more within my professional wheelhouse, but, um, you know, when you look at the, the media landscape in the U.S., um, you know, I think there's there's been a lot of issues with the way that, uh, both the way that the mainstream media attempts to be apolitical, which is a very strange thing, right? Coming from the U.K., where the media is kind of inherently um, it inherently picks a side, right? Every every media outlet has a, a left or a right leaning, um, and yet in the U.S. the the media attempts to be this kind of neutral middle middle ground, um, which I think is kind of a false a false reality to start with. And so I think um, I'd love to see some of some of the media here in the U.S. more more keenly and more transparently um, understand the biases inherent in the media landscape. Um, and then secondly is is you know just the role that that folks like Facebook and so on have played in in uh, promoting, uh, bad actors. Um, you know, the, the, um, when you look at the top stories across Facebook, it's and and the kind of disinformation, um, uh, that has been spread and, and the way the platforms handled it. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I I think Facebook is, is, has got a lot to answer for, uh, honestly, you know, I think Twitter has something to answer for, but, but I mean, Facebook just, just, uh, not only are they operating at a big, yeah, I mean, not, not only is Facebook operating a different, different scale, but they they also have uh, deliberately, negligently avoided some of the issues um, that I think has deeply harmed not only the U.S. Uh, 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 politics um, but also around the world. I mean, the you know the fact that um, you know the, the kind of atrocities that have happened out in Asia, um, uh, like in Myanmar and places um, where you know Facebook said, well, we have we have one moderator. Working on that country, um, and you're like, "All right," but that like you're 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 deeply impacting millions of people's lives, um, and 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 changing the landscape of politics, and uh, in some cases, kind of war, um, and and you know, failing to even even take responsibility for those things, um, I think is entirely negligent. Now, at the same time, people are always going to be up in arms about a new platform, right? Um, uh, you, you know, people. They're, they're kind of, people thought the book uh, like paperback book was going to destroy people's minds they thought radio was going to destroy people's minds they thought TV was going to destroy people's minds um, and it's and, you know, no different with the internet, the internet has always got its, its critics but I do think that um, I think nuance matters and I think the details matter and I think that um, you know you can see how I think Twitter has done some things wrong um, uh, for sure um, but I think Facebook has not only done some things wrong but they have been willfully negligent in, in their dealings with, with with some of the situations and you can see that with with the kind of uh you know whistleblowers and stuff that we're seeing coming out now the the, the way that the uh, employees past and present um, talk about the handling of the situation I think um, is uh has been has been outrageous uh so anyway that's
1: no, no, no. Well, uh, I, I'm obviously pretty opinionated <laughs> about this. Well, once said. you ask the question, it's hard
3: to put the genie back in the bottle. Um.
1: <laughs> um, so, so Tom, um, well, first off, well said, and uh, secondly, to kind of close us out. I mean, I think you you talk, you know, inside quote backs around this idea of kind of um, generous generous quoting. So, I'm just wondering, um, again, question without notice, if you can share one of your favorite quotes um, with our listeners to uh, to close out today
3: famous uh, well, quote that I like, um, yeah, uh, boy, I'm not I'm not really big, I don't know if I have any great quotes uh, to hand, um, let me think about that, uh, yeah, I don't know if I have any good quotes to hand, <laughs> not, not, uh,
1: no, really. <laughs> no, worries, no worries at all, um, <laughs> I might just ask you the question, a slightly different way then to kind of, um, clo- close out. So I think, you know, the, the kind of, to me, um, to me growing up, I think, you know, kind of, um, I grew up in a really, really small town in, in Canada and, and words was kind of the way that I experienced the world. So I could actually kind of find, find these, you know, different, different things in an age of kind of books, etc. And, it was words that kind of set me set me to motion. So this notion of kind of how um, you know I think we've spoken a lot about um, today is that there's a power in narrative and there's a power in a quote to kind of take you, take you to a different, different place. So, you know, you're kind of in, in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona, um, at, at the moment. So I'm just curious when you kind of look around, um, Phoenix and you kind of actually um, kind of, um, I guess, kind of look at that landscape. I mean, what are the words that you kind of think about when you actually kind of look at, um, at Phoenix and where you've actually landed after your journey across the U S.
3: Yeah, I think it's been really interesting watching the landscape change as we've driven across the U S um, and, and what's been most striking to me, like coming into Phoenix in particular, because cause I don't think it's, they're quite as prevalent in Northern Arizona, but when we drove into Phoenix, you you get these kind of, um, I think they're called so it's saguaro uh, cactuses, like these kind of, it's kind of a, the, the picturesque kind of cartoon cactus with the, with the kind of arms coming up that you would see in a, in a, in a movie or a cartoon. Um, and they just dominate the landscape over here. They just kind of pop up out of the desert. Um, and, and it's just like striking. Um, and so it's a, it's, it's a reminder, I think of, uh, both the, the diversity of life, like the, the kinds of range of cactus and different vegetation you get, get down here is really inspiring to me and really different. Um, you know, certainly nothing like what, what I grew up with in the UK, um, and, and, and also just a reminder of, of, you know, the, the, the cactus is covered in prickles literally to defend itself because water is such a scarce resource. Um, and, and I, I find fascinating kind of how, how, how externalized the kind of the, the rugged landscape is, you know, like trying to exist in a desert, literally forces these, the the vegetation to grow, you know, spikes. Um, and, and it's just this, this. You know, it's kind of thing that if you've never seen cactuses before and, and you wrote, like, a sci-fi book about them, it would be the most fantastical sci-fi book. you would be, like, where well, the vegetation has kind of grown armour and weapons. Um, um, you, you know, and so, uh, I don't take the granted being down here and, and just seeing the cactuses around. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really, it's really great and really wonderful just to see the, the variety of life.
0: Thank you for listening to BAU Business As Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's baupod.co.